are listening to Fast Track Podcast, the place to be to fast track your personal finance or fast track your business or both. Through a series of conversations with those who have learned it, done it, and made it. Before starting the episode, I have very exciting news to share with you. I am collaborating with financial imagineer Matthias Richter to launch the Fast Track Money course. This six-week online course is designed to help young professionals in their 20s to early 40s to learn how to save more, earn more, and invest. Using money as a tool to fulfill your dreams, we teach you the proven method that Matthias has been using himself in the last 20 years and achieved financial independence. So sign up today on fasttrack.life/moneycourse to transform your relationship with money from today. Today, my guest is Eric Brenner, a lifelong creative with a sunshine vibe, trained concert classical guitarist. Performer and music school owner Eric Brenner found himself spending upwards of 10 hours a week on administration alone, which cut into his teaching time and earning potential. So he knew there had to be a better way. So he built a SaaS tech company focused on streamlining appointment-based business. So since inception, funds this company he founded has helped business owners to earn more than twenty million dollars and quickly growing. So on average, professionals who use funds earn up to twenty-five percent more each month. So in this episode, I want to. Uh, ask him all the questions so he can share with us how he built a successful tech startup and wheel an idea into reality, despite the fact that you know he's a first-time founder and he comes from a music background. So let's hear it. Welcome to Fast Track Podcast, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Um, I in my intro I talk about right you're a musician and then you now have this successful SaaS startup. I think the first question coming to most of people's mind would be, how did you how did you make it right?、Uh, being a first time founder with no technical background, where's this?、Uh, how what is the story of from an idea become a reality? What what have you done? What have you been through? Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll try to boil that down. The the inception you know, really quickly is that you know I was yeah I was a musician. I ran a music school, but I was here in Seattle, which is a technology hub in Seattle, Washington, and I was kind of seeking something else from the universe. I'd been doing it for a long time successfully. My wife was an actor. We were having a great time here,、uh, but I was looking to either go back to、um, get an MBA or go to law school. That was had always been kind of my plan. And I was presented with the opportunity、uh, to work with someone to build a technology company,、uh, and I would、uh, would be the idea behind it, and I would be create the culture around it.、Uh, and the person who I connected with, our first investor, was someone who had done this multiple times, had exited multiple times, had recently had a very successful exit,、um, and you know was looking to put bandwidth into his next project. So. I was extremely fortunate to fall into a very、uh, accomplished technical and design team and management team. So I, you know, I truly I knew nothing about technology. I remember when we had our first meetings,、uh, we were talking about basically how to automate my music school, right? Because it was a very inefficient operation, and I thought I did it better than many others.、Uh, and you know, I didn't know what UX was, and I was like, UX, UI, what? It, Everybody was laughing at me, and I was like, "I need to read a lot of books." So,、uh, 
but yeah, I, I was navigated through it and I really found that I loved it. And I found that the scene of building a startup and a technology company was so much like being in a musical group or a band or uh, any, it's creative, right? You're building something out of nothing and it's really hard, just like being a musician. So I actually felt really comfortable in the space. Uh, and the thing that I also really loved is how many really bright and gifted and motivated human beings were attracted to the space, right? So as I was working with these great designers and engineers and people that were just really uh, fastidious about understanding how to create things, I mean, that's it's really not that much different than playing a Bach fugue on the guitar, right? Or playing in an orchestra or playing in a band. It's it, as far as mindset and uh, attitude. So that, that was kind of our origin story of how we got started and how I tripped into it. And, you know, and I've really, you know, fallen in love with the process. Very interesting. You use the word you're presented with this opportunity and you are falling into it. You're, you know, it sounds like you were presented this opportunity. Would you like to share with us how did it happen? How did you, you know, come across your, I don't know, either your co-founders or your investors, like, maybe we can learn something from it, right? Also, uh, how to network, how to, you know, show your work ethics that people love, they want to work with you. Yeah, well, you know, I think one is I brought, I was very enthusiastic about the work that I did. And I built a, over 20 years of teaching here in Seattle, I had a very connected group of clients, right? And, you know, that is, I was very fortunate for that, you know, from, professional athletes to really well-known people in technology to, you know, different over time that I built this just community, right. That was very organic from teaching people's kids and themselves, which is a creates a real strong bond and a lot of trust. Uh, and I also, I mean, when I said present with opportunity, I just kind of was telling the universe that I was ready to do something different. And I've really, it really did happen. I was like talking to my wife and saying, I'm ready to do something else. I'm going to start applying to MBA programs and law schools. And I just opened my eyes and almost immediately uh, I was talking with someone that had recently, you know, finished their, you know, their exit from their last big project and was looking to do their next big thing. And they were very interested in the space that I was doing. And so it, it was an organic process. There was a lot of luck involved. Um, but I, you know, I think when I'm looking back at it, it was such a massively educational moment and also having the willingness to, to not know what I was doing and be okay with that for a while um, was, were the two big pieces to it. Right. So, yeah. and that's just, that's how it kind of took off. And it often uh, happens that, you know, someone who has this idea to ready to do something or try something or look for something. And then they tell the friends and families and then more opportunities will show up. Uh, if you keep that to yourself, nobody knows that you want that. So you already have this networks from students or the parents from students. And then you tell people and then they already know you. And then there's, yeah, there's more opportunities show up. And what's funny, it's you mentioned that. Uh, to be comfortable with not knowing everything, right? The process. So can you tell us some stories that, you know, now looking back, some of the things that you didn't know at that moment, and now you look back and think, how, how am I not supposed to know that being a tech founder? Oh my, there's, there's just so much. And it's, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, I knew right away going into it that I did not know what I was doing, but I really wanted to. And I, and I knew that I was a good learner. I'm, I love, I love learning. 
You know, I'm comfortable practicing guitar five to seven hours a day. Uh, I always have had that that piece to me. Uh, so, and I also knew that it was going to be to to take a lot of you know really um, not being prideful and saying I don't know what you mean. What is the difference between UX and UI, right? Or yeah. uh, you know, and from everything from incorporating to um, the legal stuff to run, to managing a team and running standups and being able to uh, to be able to organize our projects for what we're going to work on next, right? Uh, learning about constraint theory, like all these, you know, so I just started reading all the time and learning as quickly as I could. And again, you know, the, the person that I, that I founded the company with first originally, he'd been through it and he was wise enough to know that I, I had the spark and the interest and he let me make appropriate mistakes, right? Because I think they knew this would be a really long tail strategy, building a SaaS company and building a brand is something that is, it's not a two or three year project. It's a seven to 12 year project, right? That's, we knew that going into it. We knew I had time to learn and, you know, they had people in place to be like, oh, you can't do that. Right. So we had good lawyers and we had, I had great technical founders help and a really solid technical team. So I could be creative and I could be authentic and go out and start building community. Right. Which is that that was the thing I was really comfortable with was going out and meeting people and telling people about the idea. Uh, you know, when we started Fonz. Fonz was initially it was the concept to run a music, a music teacher's school. Right. Or a music school with a bunch of teachers. And the way that had always been traditionally done, I was very confident that I had one of the most successful schools probably in the United States. Right. And I sat down and instantly this team of engineers and designers and thought leaders were like, this is terrible. You're still sending invoices and taking paper checks. Like we're not doing this. And I was like, what do you mean? So I had to go out and start really researching about what the modern applications were to be able to streamline these operations and talking to personal trainers, gyms, academic tutoring firms, dog walkers, right? All these people that have client appointment-based relationships, businesses, uh, really learning about them. And we started finding all these new you know, these new ways of doing uh, and what we, you know, we ended up coming up with was so far from what I originally imagined. It wasn't even close, right? And, but it was great because it was so collaborative and, and so many minds were, were involved in it. Well, I do think um, later the, you know, the structure of the product is so far from what you initially imagined. Yes. Yeah. It was, what, it was, what's that? Uh, why do you think it's very like there's a big gap in between is it because initially you based on your own understanding of the industry and then compared to later you have talked to so many people like why do you think there's such a gap i think it was a gap because what we had done is created something that worked for us right and we had over and you did that happens we create operational systems you do it everybody has an operational system they put into their business that can somewhat comes become through a narrow focus Right. And then when you start bringing other ideas, right, uh, you start to be like, wow. And, and to give you like a really concrete example, um, the way this business has always worked is if I were going to teach you music or be your physics tutor, you know, I would at the beginning of the month, I would send you an invoice for the sessions we would have that month. You would pay me hopefully by the fifth of that month. Often you wouldn't. Right. It has no correlation to your financial situation. It's just people don't like doing invoices. 
And you know, that was a hallmark of, of the way the whole business and the industry had worked for a very long time. <clears throat> and we were in this new phase where uh, that wasn't necessary anymore, right? Everything can be automated. Like invoicing for this type of work doesn't make sense. If you think of it like now it's almost like an Uber, like my students just show up and they get billed for being there. That's technology has been able to solve that through an, a myriad of ways. So I think we were fortunate in building our solution to have a, a, techno, a tech visionary on our team, right? Who was able to say, oh my gosh, we're not doing that. Uh, let's do this and try this and experiment with that and talk to these people. And that's how it really morphed into being a real tight operational uh, toolkit that we've built for these types yeah. of businesses. Yeah. And I also find it's very valuable in your case that you have a business partner who who has been a successful tech founders in the past. And now you are a very experienced service-based service provider or you run your own music school. And now you combine the two worlds together and then you develop a product that serve those service-based business owners using technology. Yes. Yeah, it never would have happened. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's one of those things where every week pride five or 10 people will contact me like, I've got an idea for an app. And I'm like, oh my gosh, well, A, you know, engineering is extremely expensive right now. And no code is kind of a thing that everybody's exploring, but really building a company is really difficult because there's so many moving pieces, right? Yeah. Not yeah. only did it, building the products, one piece, but building customer base, who knew that was going to be so hard, right? Yeah. To get people to try this new radical way of doing something. You know, people, it's very hard to get people to adopt. No one wants to try a, a new thing. Uh, and it takes, it's so much tenacity. And then there's, you know, there's, there's 10 other different pieces to that puzzle of building a product like this. So yes, having someone that's been through it is, is fabulous because they're often wanting to find someone that's energetic, someone that knows a space really well, you know, that, that someone that has real domain authority and that's proven it, that's powerful. Right. So mixing that domain authority that I had in my enthusiasm and belief, right? Because that the other piece is that traditionally musicians, artists, uh, academics are not seen uh, as much as a professional as a car mechanic, right? Most car mechanics make more money than you know people with doctorates in classical piano, right? And so our real vision began to build this tool to elevate that whole career path because it's so meaningful. Like I knew the work that I was doing really mattered to many people's lives, you know, and, you know, as a music teacher, my value proposition was that people would work with me and find joy in their life and become good at something and learn how to learn. And, you know, generally really use that as a stepping stone to be happy in their, in their ad adulthood and their existence. So, you know, it was, it was a really great experience, a really beautiful path. Yeah, and it's also create impacts on many people's like small business owners and also has an indirect impact on their lives. And um, my other question would relate it to, you know, the fact that your company has uh, helped so many like service providers increase the earnings by 25%. What would you think are the reasons people are, you know, underpaid in the past or they did not learn, earn as much as they could? Uh, it is much of it. Is and and, I, and I'll just speak just so because I I'm going to speak to the music industry because I think that's just I'll pick one they're yeah. not they're all of all the verticals we serve they're close but in music traditionally 
it was almost taboo to have music to be money be a piece of it especially the more like uh you know classical music or jazz the more it went in that direction of like highly skilled musicianship the less you wanted to talk about it so why uh, it's just it's the way it's all you know they were assumed that the goal would be to get a professorship or to tour and you know and so what we grew up when i grew up studying with the the many of the famous people that are out that were out there teaching it was always kind of like you know assumed either came from a financial background and had money like a trust fund or something or uh, you had a professorship or there was some way and what we found and i i had a, i had a very I've been very blessed with mentors, people that have popped into my life and, and have kind of guided me. And the thing that turned that was a turning point for me on the journey to building bonds was I had been teaching for probably 10 or 12 years. And it was the first time I started to leave the industry. And I said, I did the same thing. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go do something else. And I was starting a family. I had a beautiful studio in downtown Seattle, but I was like, I think it's time for me to like get into a day job or something. And I had a client who was 60 years old and he was a legend in Seattle. He knew everybody. He was a great connector of people. Uh, he was an architect that had built everyone's house, right? And so he was in a lesson. He's like, Branner, don't quit teaching. You're too good at this. He's like, I want you to double your rates, right? Tomorrow. And I was like, I can't do that. That's weird. He's like, just do it. No one's going to care. And I was like, they're going to care. And I was like, I can't do that. So finally he talks me into it. And basically overnight, I was like, hey, I, I'm either leaving this industry, I, I have to double my rates to make this really work for me. And not only did literally no one care, like all of my clients were like, okay, or we're so glad to hear that you're doing that. So you're staying in this, in this field. Eight weeks later, I had a massive waiting list because perceived value came into play where I was getting more calls for new clients than my very famous professors that I had worked with and I was charging almost twice as much as they were, right? And so I was like, wait, this is weird. Like you should be reaching out to this person, but they wanted to be, they, they didn't, the average consumer doesn't really know how to judge outside of saying, oh, well, there's these two options. This person's X and this person's two X. This person must be the person I want for me or my family. And that was like, my mind exploded. And then I kind of was like, not only did I have another decade of you know making a really great living, buying a house here in Seattle and having a great life and doing great work, I started really pushing that idea to other service providers. Be like, dude, if you want your marketing strategy is to double your rates. It always works, provided that you're really good at what you do. Um, and I'll, and I've, I, I've talked to literally thousands of music teachers and uh, tutors and personal trainers and saying, hey, if you want to get busy, first thing you do is like, at least charge as much as your plumber. Okay, right? Because you have so much training, you deserve at least to make as much as you're the person who works on your car, okay? And then it, it's 100% effective. So that, that's a long answer, but it's really important to me because it's one of like the key tenets of my philosophy about this field that I believe in so much is it's great to see people come in and we see them, we're like, oh my gosh, you have a doctorate of musical arts. You're charging like not you're, you're charging half of what you should please do this and then they they change it and they go oh my gosh no one cared it always works thank you so it's a it's a really it's me it's meaningful to be able to help guide people in that direction yeah at, at the end of the day is what what's 
your worth is equal to how much people are willing to pay, not how much you think you're worth, right? Oh, you should say that again, because that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Can you repeat that? <laughs> yes, your worth is equal to how much people are willing to pay. It's not equal to how much you think you're worth. And that's so beautiful, right? And it's also part of being a community is that um, the I, I'm very interested in the idea of equity and who I can work with. I would never turn away a person for money. So I, in my teaching, I was able to charge this higher rate. Also knowing that if I ever needed to, I would, by all means, I can teach people for free because I can say, oh, I charge enough here. And the people that work with me they're so appreciative of that. Like my clients that are very affluent, they're happy to pay it because they know that's the scene I'm creating. They want me to thrive. They know my kids. They want my kids to, to be healthy and they know the other families I work with. So it's, it, it's a really beautiful business structure that everyone that really helps everyone. I will say that in the last three years, I've had one person ball because I still teach. I'm doing bonds, but I still teach much less than I used to, but it, it's something I do. I have 10 or 12 students at all times. And I've had one person balk at my, my rate structure and they were the CFO of a national insurance company here in the United States. And I was like, wow, that's just disrespectful. Like, uh, it's like, you know, it's one thing to be like, you know, a school teacher would be, would, would often try to pay my rate. And I'd say, Hey, let me give you a break. Right. Or something like that. But the, you know, in general, People have been fabulous about it. Yeah, that's 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 great. Like I oftentimes hear the same story, like increase your rate, increase your rate. But on the other hand, I want to ask you, um, what advice would you give it to service providers, like coach, trainers, uh, teachers, to what extent they can increase their rate? Well, that is a challenge that we're finding is that we don't really know what the ceiling is. It really depends on where you are. Um, there are, you know, you know what, what, one thing that you will see is most people are not bold enough, right? Because it just, it's the way of the economy right now. People want what's there's, there's not nearly enough service providers, for what we do like right now, you and I having a human connection, right? Even though it's digital, it's still human. I'm getting to know you and you're getting to know me. People are starving for that. Right. And to get that. And so our work that we're doing as a personal trainer isn't just let's get really healthy. It's I'm here to listen to you and to know you. And so it's being you know, that all the statistics and reports are saying over the next 10 years, it's just such a growth field. Right. So I don't know what the limit would be. You know, I do know that some, I know what providers charge. I know some of them charge incredible amounts of money. And when they do, they often just are busy making much more money not okay. necessarily based on their education or their level of skill, but based on what they've, you know, what they've put out there in the world. Mm -hmm. um, do you think it's quite important that, you know, a service provider or, you know, a teacher should have the adequate experience or skill set to provide quality service, and then they are entitled to charge higher rates? Because I'm just wondering if some people charge too much and then they won't get enough clients. People just think it's not worth the money they're paying for. Gosh, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I, the only way that I could really equate that is I try to imagine myself as when I was first started teaching, I put myself through college teaching and I've always, my grandfather was a music teacher. I've always known I love teaching people um, is 
what I lacked in experience then, I had youthful energy and, uh, and excitement about. So my students then still did really well because I might not know as many tricks and I might not have the patience, but I was so stoked. I was so into being able, I was so grateful to be there. So one of the things that we see is young providers that come in with great enthusiasm and knowledge of their craft, they charge more and they get really busy. So I, I think a lot of it is more about your attitude. If you really, if you believe that you're helping people, right, that drives you. If you believe you're serving people, if you believe that, you know, your work is meaningful and you're willing to put a, the, the, the price has really become secondary, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's what people will get, right? If, a, if, a, if you can make a child happy, right? If you can bring joy into a child's heart or an adult's heart, it's, you know, it's priceless and parents and, you know, can, clients will be happy to pay it. Yeah. And oftentimes people make emotional decisions, not rational decisions. And what I like about what you said just now is, uh, you know, you, you have this energy, right? Make people feel stoked. And if, uh, from my personal experience, I really feel that if someone is performing a, you know, even a service or provide a product to me, or we have a working relationship, I can feel the passion, you know, the sparkles in the other person's eye. Then I feel I'm really learning something from someone who is passionate about this topic. And I actually had a guitar teacher when I was, I don't know, maybe 10 years old or 12 years old. I actually stopped with the teacher because every time when, you know, the hour is finished and it's my, my class is finished and the teacher just want to, you know, let me go and then finish the day. I don't feel the passion. I, I kind of lost my passion in learning guitar. So I, I completely mm -hmm. understand what you say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is, and that teacher probably was highly educated but was not passionate about transferring the knowledge and seeing young people struggle their way through learning. Like, I love that. I love, I started playing guitar late. And so I really remember what it was like to learn. And I love being an, uh, a newcomer at a new idea. So yeah, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I, if I have met you back then, I was still playing guitar right now. Oh, it's never too late. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so my last question is, what do you think are the, let's, let's talk about, you know, starting a successful company or tech company. What do you think are the success ingredients? Well, you know, it is, the reality is I wasn't prepared for how difficult it would be. Um, and if I did not have people around that I really trusted to help, I don't think I would have made it. I mean, it is the, it is, you know, to come on, be like, oh my gosh, it's so fun. It's so great. Do a tech startup. It's really hard. The SaaS space is really difficult. It's competitive. Um, everything's challenging, right? You know, and so uh, it's, and it's, it's relentless. So I would say, you know, I used to have this great quote um, in life. Whenever I was, if, say my car broke, I'd be like, I can fix my car. I can play a Bach few, right? Like I should be able to think that out. And you know, this has been an experience that has really pushed me to the very limits of, of my learning and my ability to keep up, my social skills, uh, trying to remain authentic. And so the thing that's, you know, our, our stories be still being told, you know, as far as what success will mean and uh, what will come next for us is, is it is worth it to chase after your dream and to try it and to realize that you're going to need to be very resilient. Like you could be super lucky, like the stories of startups we read about that 
become unicorns in six months before they have any customers or whatever. But that's not really likely to be your journey in building a business. Um, but I, I do think that building a startup is great to do with people that you like and friends because it's like a family, like you're in it. You're going to be battling together all the time. And so I, it's different than other business structures in that sense that the people I work with, I, we're like family, right? Yeah. So I would say resilience and not giving up and also willingness to really admit and uh, prioritize your time because there's not going to be enough of it, right? So you're relentlessly editing, right? That's the thing that when, when I meet with a lot of other founders that are really early and just getting started, I hear these ideas and they're so scattered in where their focus is. And so learning how to like run a Kanban board well and only choosing the top card and being very uh, protective of your time and your energy, uh, understanding constraint theory really well, like read the goal again and again and find out what, where your bottlenecks are um, is something else that's been really helpful for us. Cause I was, for instance, I was brilliant. I was like, I can get people to sign up for this thing all day. Right. But yeah. And I was so excited because we got all these signups and I was like, I am basically ready to exit. None of them were converting. <laughs> None of them were becoming paid customers. And so what a tough lesson to learn that I had to go back and be like, oh my gosh, my onboarding is terrible. And my email drip is awful. I should probably do that too. So, you know, that it's that constant state of being like, yes, this is so cool. And then, oh my gosh, this is so hard. And I did something so great and I messed something up so badly. So I, I think it's just a really, you know, I'm a pretty laid back person, but also intense by nature uh, as far as my focus. And this, it keeps me up at night. Like nothing else ever has. Like, it's like, I can't really turn it off. You know, it's like, I think about all time, <laughs> which I'm sure most startup founders do. Yeah. But later, did you learn to turn it off? Otherwise you cannot sustain this, this level, right? No. No, it's been really, that, that's been my greatest challenge is that I am a very, I'm a sensitive human being. Like I know hundreds of our customers, like I, cause I use them to learn about how to build the product. I talk to them every day. I jump into the customer's success channels. Uh, I, I really care about their success because they're me. Right. And I want to build the best platform in the world to do this. And we're competing with really gigantic companies with a much smaller team. So you know, I, you know, I really, I take it very personally. So, you know, when the inherent bugs that happen in the system, they're going to happen right to every company, yeah. you know, they, that really stresses me out or, uh, you know, it just, I, yeah, I don't, you, yeah, you really care. Yeah. You really care about the product and your customers. Yeah. Yeah. It's become very close to me. Mm -hmm. And well, I, from your, um, from your story, I, I learned what I learned, right? Is that you mentioned so many times about people. So you have like group of people who support you within your company, also your customers, you care about them, very people oriented, so customer centric, and you talk to different type of industry uh, service providers, understand what's their need. And in a way you use that insights to develop product that serve them better. I think eventually, uh, all this like learnings from your stories can be also implemented and borrowed by other tech startup founders. So uh, for that, I thank you so much for sharing your personal stories and your learnings. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was great to chat with you. And lastly, would you like to share with us uh, where people can find you, follow you, learn more about funds, if they are service providers, coach, you know, teachers, probably they can use your service. Absolutely. We know I'm, I'm Eric Branner on LinkedIn. If anyone would like to talk, um, I love talking about startups. I love hearing about new ideas. Uh, Fonds.com is where you can go to learn more about Fonds. Uh, and you can also connect with us there. So that's a, that's a, that's a great place to, to reach out to us. And we're, we're on all the social channels under Fonds. All right. So uh, as usual, you can find the audience, you can find all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with you. Join the Facebook group at Fast Track Podcast One, or you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and of course, the homepage, FastTrack.life. See you in the next episode.